we open your word this morning, God, I just I just thank you just for this worship for those that that have shared their hearts and and God, it's amazing how you continue to weave things together because as we share our passage this morning and what has been laid on my heart, it is exactly what we are seeing here this morning. And so, God, I just I, I praise you for that. And my heart uh, is bold in asking for that to be continued and multiply as as difficult as it's going to seem when we go through these passages and look at a change that you're calling us to God we see that change around us and I just I just call for a boldness to step out in doing that as a faith family and as believers and so I just thank you in orchestrating all things through your hands amen Last week, as we kind of closed our service in prayer, we, we recognized those uh, young men and young women and the teams that were uh, assembled to work uh, during that sojourn out at Camp Ileana. And so it, it's exciting, and our prayer was to show those uh, young women and young men. Um, and so it was... Uh, pretty special to have Miss Gretchen come up and share because she was on uh, that weekend Um, and I look forward to to sitting down with her with more time to be able to to see because it was a very special weekend to her and so thanks to all those um, that were a part of that weekend, prayed for that weekend um, and, uh, and that type of thing. We are in a series called New Mercies, and we started talking about that. It's a four-week series, just the beginning of the new year, right? And we're just, we're just kind of looking at the change that Christ calls us to make and the difficulties of that change in the Christian life. And we're going to look at different dynamics, and even today and in the coming weeks of just understanding real life stuff like procrastination and and today specifically uh looking at this process this sanctification which is a big word of just becoming more christ-like um and the power of cultivating these different spiritual habits and and stuff so over the next three weeks uh, this week and the next two after um our hope is we have a pretty good grasp of what God's calling us and, and things that we're going to come up against uh, during that process of change. Um, and we see this life-giving process of change uh, in the Christian life. And change is a part of life, right? It, it, it will bring us closer to God. It'll take us, uh, or it could take us further away from Him. And so at the end of the day, our hope is that each one of us take responsibility to follow God in every season of life, right? And, and the Christian life, again, is about this process, changing to reflect more of Jesus in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds. So we, we should long for our lives to be changed to reflect Christ. 
I'm going to switch gears just briefly because I kind of came upon and was reading through some different articles and, and different teachings, and something really clicked with me. We've, weather and climate is constantly in our news feeds right now. I mean, tons of other stuff, but kind of a constant that will pop up is this idea of weather and climate. And many, time we com- many times we confuse climate with weather. See, they're not the same thing. Climate is, this, is a significant and lasting change in the statistical distribution of weather patterns over periods ranging from decades to thousands of years. Okay, So climate is this huge overarching, and that climate then dictates the weather. Okay, so way more than weather. Climate is what sets weather into motion. Uh, Climate controls the weather. Climate dictates what the weather will be like. Climate can be a great destabilizing force, right? Long-term climate change, which we've been talking about in our world because data and and conversations look as though things are warmer than they had been, and we see Long-term climate change is beginning to bring about some pretty extreme weather results. Um, we've seen droughts. We've seen f- extreme flooding. We've seen hurricanes, more hurricanes, devastating tornadoes. We've got, you know, record freezing temperatures. We've been colder, you know, t- a month ago or three weeks ago than it has in a really long time. Record snowfall in areas, melting ice caps, decreasing water reservoirs, Um, and so this thought process, like this struck me, this terminology can be applied to our lives. So some of us are are fighting storms, trouble, uh, difficulties, and only seem to get temporary relief, right? Then those same challenges show up on the horizon again. We expend all of our energy on fighting weather when if we would spend energy and resources on, claim, on changing the climate, the storm patterns and cycles would be different. Okay, we have a tendency to right, react to the patterns and never really do anything to address the overall climate that is causing those patterns. Some of us have been fighting the same fight, new versions, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. We rail against the weather that we're dealing with, but never deal with the root, which is the climate that's producing it. And so climate change must be preceded by climate control. Some of us are asking for climate change in our lives, but we're unwilling to do the hard work to make that happen, to control the climate, right? So there's no change. The climate we allow and operate in will forecast our future. I think it's essential if we're going to confront the climate of our lives, then we must also try to outline and call on a new climate to be the reality in our lives. I I want to see our lives change for good. 
So it's our responsibility as a church then to define and our responsibility as believers to establish and work for the climate that will produce that weather, right? And the climate we're going to talk about absolutely flies in the face of and is absolutely opposite of our society's culture. I need to tell you that individually, you have got to get this established as the climate of your life to see weather change, to see that change. And so we're going to be in, an, we're going to be in Romans 12. Okay, we're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to be in a passage of Scripture. Instantly, you'll see the first step to climate change, which is to address the way you think. But many times, we stop at the end of those first two verses. And we never really see how a climate of different thinking will play out in our practical lives. In other words, if we don't change how we think, we won't see the, the change, right? Personally, I, I look at Romans 12, I, I, I kind of call like the, uh, the experiment chapter. And that's just me. Because I think if you could live, and that's really what we're going to be talking about today. If you could live chapter 12, the game changes. Like, the game changes. If you, if you live chapter 12. So it's like an experiment. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just do this and see what happens. And that's what, I mean, as Christians, that's what we're called to do, right? We've heard this before. Um, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so we've heard this before. We've recognized that our climate is a large part dictated by how we think. But let's go forward, and what we'll discover is that Paul actually lists for us the climate that should be established in our lives to produce that better weather, let's say. And he begins to establish a kingdom climate, a kingdom culture. And it's not just about being nice. This is an entirely different climate. And it isn't easy. I think I said that a few times. It requires intentional effort. It, it requires a choice to refuse to think, act, and believe like the climate that we have become comfortable in up to this point. So I'm calling you, I'm calling myself to do that kind of hard work. To purposely lay down society's climate and maybe even a past church climate that you've been in that wasn't aligned to scripture. And so we, we start at that point. I'm going to skip three because it fits nicely uh, here in a couple verses down, 
So as we want to change, this, this kingdom climate dictates that, and 12 goes through and starts uh, outlining, Paul's outlining what that, look like, what that looks like. In verse 4, for, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have a, the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If, you're, if your gift is prophesying, then prophecy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. It's teaching, teach. If it's to encourage, give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so this kingdom climate first dictates that we are connected. Okay? Verse 4 uh, through six in the message, each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us find our meaning and function as a part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much. Paul's telling us that in order to, for you to establish kingdom culture, which in turn will impact the weather in our life, you must be connected to the body. You must be connected. Why? Well, Paul knew that the, the, the climate of isolation produces a weather of loneliness, paranoia, suspicion, makes you vulnerable to accusations, temptation of the enemy. You're incomplete apart from being in the body. Your, your connectedness is a life source for you. So this is more than just a local church trying to build its audience. This is a, a, all about climate. Who you are connected to will dictate climate, which then will dictate your weather, right? Many of us are, are more connected, let's say, maybe at our office or workplace than to the, the bodies and members of our local faith family or church and it goes well beyond just attendance, too, right? You're, you're not just connected because you attend. Attendance is like that first base in connection. Uh, attendance is like basic beginner level, right? Attendance is entry level. Some of us never really reap any kind of change because we sow only attendance. If we want the full fruit of connectedness, we must become involved in each other's lives. Okay, Serve together, sit together, share life together, why we do meals together, and we have different opportunities and try our best to foster different environments that we can come together and be together. But don't wait on us to set it up, right? We, we can foster connected, uh, connectedness ourselves as well. But I think we've many times bought into the lie that being in a room once a week equals connected, and that suffices, right? Our society assigns friendships to like this surface level connection, like kind of like Facebook. It's like, oh yeah, we're friends. Like, oh, well, I mean, we're friends on Facebook, which literally means you click the check mark, right? Well, I mean, that's the, the extent of the depth of our relationship. Uh, but it, you weren't intended to travel this road by yourself. 
Jesus sent his followers out into the world, right, two by two, not one at a time this way and that way. Your connectedness determines your strength. It determines your effectiveness. And some of you are facing weather that, that you would not want, that, that maybe you wouldn't even be facing if you were connected. And some of you are, are falling uh, to whether that you would easily defeat, survive, and overcome if you were connected. However, because of where you're at and you're by yourself, you're just swamped. Secondly, we see this part of this kingdom culture, this kingdom climate of serving. Okay, Paul gives us a, a, this litmus test to reveal just how connected we are. Uh, he says your level of connectedness is shown by whether you serve. Are you using your gifts? It doesn't matter what your gift is, Paul says, we should serve with it. And that's where I see, even this morning, just different people and different giftedness uh, just playing. I always love to look at it like a piece of the puzzle. Nobody's the whole picture. Nobody's called to be the whole picture. No, I mean, if you want to be the whole picture, then we've got a whole other conversation we need to sit down and have, uh, and we can counsel through that. But, like, <laughs> we're called to be a piece of the puzzle. And every one of us is shaped uniquely different. And then when we get all those pieces together, we see this beautiful picture. I'm telling you this stands in direct context, uh, contrast to the climate of our culture around us, maybe even other churches or, or, or faith families. Um, we bring the climate of our culture into the body rather than establishing this kingdom climate and then bringing it into uh, everywhere around us. And so we end up having hundreds of, di of diners and really just a handful of servers. Uh, we show up the consumers, and the question reveals the climate. We've established like this kind of what-can-you-do-for-me attitude. And if you can't do that for me, I'm out, <laughs> right? <laughs> Paul says that the kingdom climate dictates that this gathering isn't about me. It's not about any one person. It's about glorifying him and worshiping him and growing in knowledge and depth and understanding, sanctification of him. It's about giving my gifts so that others get theirs, and, and the byproduct is I get mine out of serving. According to Paul, kingdom climate is I show up thinking about you first. Get connected and serve to produce the change you want. I can't do something every week. Well, yeah, I, we don't need you to do something. I don't do something every single week. Like uh, Hogan and the worship team and different individuals. Okay, Chase Wagler does something every single week, but he's like an he's like an all star. He's an anomaly all star. That's his new stage name or whatever. Uh, but we don't. Here's the truth. We don't want you to, right? We, we want you to have the opportunities to sit, to enjoy, to get fed, but also have opportunities to serve. 
And our lack of kingdom climate means that, that some folks never get that opportunity because too many of us sit on our gift, not only week after week, but maybe even year after year. You, you have a gift, and there is a place for you, a piece of the puzzle. If you're not putting your piece in, there's a piece missing. And Paul concludes this teaching on this climate of serving, saying, do it with joy, cheerfully. In other words, if Jesus' yoke is light, easy and light, you should serve gladly and with a spirit of joy. In other words, if you're greeting, there should be a smile on your face. Sounds pretty basic, but I don't, I mean, uh, it's wrong that Walmart many times has more kingdom climate in the joy department than, than some communities of faith. It's like, welcome to Walmart. We've got some really, I mean, we've got some really good greeters here in Washington. Like, you go to other cities and stuff like that, and it's just like, you know, it is a job, but there's a couple of guys out there that, that do stuff, and they like it's a genuine, like, they're glad to see you. It makes a difference. There's a joy in that, right? If you greet someone, it should be cheerfully. Every role should be marked with joy. Worship team should worship cheerfully. This impacts the climate. It's not drudgery. It should be a delight. It shouldn't make life harder. It should make it easier. Your service establishes a climate that is about others. All right, so we got to keep moving. Uh, we got like three or four messages all jammed in this one so we can continue going. But many of us struggle to make connection and serve. And so as we continue, because Paul just keeps adding to this, like, and so it's going to be even more difficult. Uh, it gets harder and harder, not, not easier, but it can be done. We're talking about climate change. Climate change never comes easy, but the long-term patterns it sets, right, into motion is worth the effort. Romans 12, 9 through 10, and this is where I'm going to jump back and grab uh, 3, uh, verse 3 as well. Uh, so we'll do three. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And then bound to, to verse nine, uh, verses 9 and 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And so love must be sincere, right? Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, run for dear life from evil, hold on for dear life to good, be, be good friends uh, who love deeply, practice playing second fiddle, so to speak. And so you're connected, you're serving, we have to have some uh, sincere love. The practice and climate of, of most modern-day believers and, and many churches is a lot of talk about love, but very little genuine practice 
of love. Sincere love. Like, I, am I supposed to believe, like you're thinking, am I supposed to believe it's real love just because you tell me <laughs> it's love or you tell me one time or once a week in service? No, you've got to prove it, right? You've demonstrated all week long in every situation. Defend me when I'm not around and I'll defend you. Give, give me grace when I'm obviously in the even, maybe even intentionally wrong or out of order. Call my name out in prayer. Check on me. Love is sincere when it's active. Jesus said that we would be known by our love, right? Our love would be our identifier, our brand, our mark. Real love is the, the basis and the foundation of the other commands that Paul gives us. Without sincere love, we have no ability to establish the rest of what he's calling to, which next of which run away from evil, hang on to good. Now, this definitely deals with protecting our, our witness, our testimony, and where we spend time and money. You can't get away from the fact that we must be careful uh, about what we dwell on, watch, listen to, but remember, what Paul is dealing with right now is the climate of how we relate to one another. And so I, I, th I think he's teaching us how to handle each other's mess. Okay, Paul says that, that when we're dealing uh, with each other, we should hang on to what is good. Kingdom climate, which is founded on sincere love, dictates that in the process of calling out and holding accountable, that we don't define someone by the bad but the good. I will believe the best about you. Too many of us believe the worst first, right? We're, we're too suspicious, suspicious. I detest, detest what is evil. But about you, what is, what is good, I will cling to. I, I will call out the good in you. And so we should in each other. Paul calls us in, in this climate shift to be loyal. Now, here's something that's pretty missing from our climate today. Loyalty is a lost quality, I believe. We've taken to, the, to, the, to thine own self be true kind of motto as a way of living and operating in relationships. And loyalty means that we are committed to each other. Through thick and thin, good or bad, convenient, inconvenient, mountaintop or valley. It means I'm not around only as long as I can get something for you or it's good for me. It means I'm here for you for the long haul. It means conflict, feelings, arguments. are not going to cause me to turn and walk away. Giving each other the benefit of the doubt in all things. Why? We're, you're not just in another relationship. We're part of one another, right? Did you not read the passage where we're all part of the body? One's the thumb, one's the finger, one's the nose, one's the head. We're members of the same body, and I can't do without you any more than 
my physical body can do without my hands or my feet. You are essential for me, and therefore I am loyal to you. Our lack of loyalty causes us to walk away from relationships too easily. In verse 3, Paul lays the foundation for this climate-altering trait, honor. There's no way you can establish a climate of honor if you're only or overly concerned with yourself, right? Paul says we should think of ourselves, shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Why? Well, because he knew that if we, <laughs> we think too highly of ourselves, we would never be able to honor someone above ourselves. We would never be willing to play second fiddle. We, we should never be able to come to a place where we would not only applaud but assist someone else to succeed, even if it means that I don't. Pretty counter-cultural stuff. Paul's adamant that we must establish a, a culture of honor because he knew God's blessings are found in a climate of honor. We've, we've studied this several times before. Children, honor your parents, wives, honor your husbands, employees, honor your bosses, honor those who labor among you. We've talked about that relationship and honoring relationships. And so we're connected, we're serving with sincere love, uh, loving good and having, hating evil, loyal, honoring. This is some challenging stuff. We struggle to establish this in our life. And, and now, however, it's going to get even, even harder. And if you don't believe it can get harder, even Paul in verse 11 stops for a second and says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. He literally stops right in the middle of outlining all this, uh, this kingdom climate and instructs us that we need to check our zeal and up our spiritual fervor if we're going to be able to establish the rest of this as our climate in our lives. He knew that being connected, serving, love, good, loyal, honoring is difficult. And so Paul says, get that work done and then check yourself. Refuel, refuel revive, because establishing the remaining characteristics of kingdom climate it will require this heightened zeal, this, this spiritual effort. In other words, you've, we're going to need another dose of Holy Spirit, right, to be able to establish this and continue living. It can't be our own doing. Romans 12 13, uh, 12 and 13, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Be alert, servants of the master, cheerfully expectant, don't quit in hard times, pray all the harder, help needy Christians, be inventive in hospitality, kingdom climate dictates that we're joyful, back to that joy Psalm 45, 7, you, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. We are anointed with joy. You should be obvious in your interaction. Joy should be obvious in your interaction with one another. 
It should be obvious in our interaction here and outside of these walls. It should be obvious in our worship. It should be obvious in our response to the word we hear each week. Joy is our strength. Paul knew what, that a joyful climate produces strength. We should be contagious. You have a choice each day to share either joy or sadness, really. And that doesn't mean that we don't have tough times and just glaze it over and act joyful. But this is finding a joy in who we are and who the Lord is. It doesn't, again, doesn't glaze over tough and, and stormy times. Uh, actually, the climate of joy reveals God's presence. In 1 Chronicles 16, 27, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. So in that climate, then, we also see this patience in affliction. I, I believe this does speak to how you go through trial. But remember, again, Paul's dealing with how we treat others. And, and so I think that Paul's actually uh, saying is that this kingdom climate uh, is one in which I am patient when others are going through affliction. Have you ever gotten imp impatient with someone who is struggling? All they seem to be focused on is like their pain. Um, all they want to talk about, Facebook about, pray about, dominate conversation, etc., 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 is like their affliction. Um, Paul says we must learn to be patient with others. There are some around us that are in a struggle and fight for their life. If we don't establish kingdom climate, we'll, we will grow impatient with those who aren't overcoming and, and winning as fast as we may think they should be. There are some struggles and hard times that are going to take an extended amount of time for people to exit and grow out of. We must be patient as individuals, as a church. Yes, some of us stagnate in trials, and we should have already moved on. We're like the, the children of Israel, right, who circled too long. However, we must remember that it is our climate that will believe uh, they will walk into their promise one day. Be patient. Be understanding. If you aren't with me in my struggle, you can't be with me when I succeed, right? Paul shows us... Uh, the climate response to those who are in the middle of affliction, and we see faithfulness in prayer. Again, referring to how we deal with one another, establish kingdom climate, we should be in prayer on a regular basis. I pray for me, but I also pray for you. How faithful are you in prayer for other members of this body and of your faith family outside of these walls? I'm not talking about prayer time during 
service, right? Our, our, your faithfulness and prayer really during the week should be our foundation for when we come together and pray with one another on Sunday. And some, some of us struggle and are uncomfortable with praying for each other on Sunday because we haven't really prayed for one another or anything throughout the week. And I'm encouraging you to allow the Holy Spirit to, to build the prayer list for you concerning others around you in your life. Faithful prayer. Paul's words shares us uh, shares with us to share with those in need. Paul says the climate is that we should rally around those in need. I think something that we don't touch on too terribly often often is that also speaks to a a climate and a culture where we're comfortable enough again laying down pride, comfortable enough to share our needs. Right? We can't meet a need that we don't know about. And once the need is shared, the climate must be established is that we're responsive. We rally to a family or individual in need. We don't use up everything we have on ourselves. We look for those who are in need and we respond. This is a way of life where we intentionally make efforts to be sensitive and responsive. Uh, to the needs we recognize around us. We're called to hospitality, to be hospitable. This is a a climate change, requires us to love each other differently. Why should someone's heart be changed today if I won't even talk to them around the coffee shop or out in the front hall as we are first getting here or dismissed and leaving? Right? Your willingness to produce a climate of hospitality is the key to softening and preparing someone for change. What, what would it be after service if our worship team, seemingly pouring out their hearts, then came down off the stage and like snuffed somebody, walked straight out, got in their car and left? Like You'd be like, well, hold, what? Hold, wait, what's going on? Like, that... Something's not matching up here. It's about seeing others. And we can walk in here lazy and uninterested, no climate change. We must come in here ready and expecting. There are people who have given up and have lost expectations, and our attitude of expectation causes them to hope again, right? I'm convinced that the climate of hospitality has more to do with someone being positioned for change than the quality of the teaching or or the worship. I, I think that hospitality is putting someone else first. It's that. I'm third attitude. If we aren't friendly, it literally preaches louder and more effectively than anything that can go on up front here. I mean, unpreaching our message, our worship. Connected, serving, sincere love. Love good, 
hate evil, loyal, honoring, joyful, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, sharing with those in need, hospi- uh, hospitable. Uh, I mean, we're deep into this. We're going to finish, right? I mean, we're this far. We're just, we're right at the end, 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Can you imagine if we just if we just applied that and lived every part of that out, what kind of change that would have on our lives and, and those around us? Bless your enemies, don't curse under your breath, laugh with your, ha- with your happy friends when they're happy, shed tears when they're down, get along with each other, don't be stuck up, make friends with anyone and everyone, don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back, discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you. I'll do the judging, God says. I'll take care of it. Climb this kingdom climate, then in addition, dictates that we bless. Because most of us operate in this pseudo-kingdom climate that we bless those that we like, that we love, or that treat us nicely. Paul says kingdom climate is apparent and in operation when we grow to the place where we actually bless those that we consider enemies. One version says bless those who harass you. And this word bless here in the Greek uh, is where we get the word eulogy. It's the same word Jesus used on the Sermon on the Mount. It means to speak well of. So do you get that? Like if it didn't seem difficult enough, we're at a point where like this climate, this culture, this kingdom culture is that we speak well of those who do not only speak badly of us, but, but actually persecute, harass us. Not only do they trash talk us, but they actually take action to produce problems. Paul says, bless them. I, you you got to kind of sit there and think about that for a minute. He's saying that if somebody is my enemy, I'm called... I'm to call the blessings of God, bless them physically, and call for blessings, blessing and prayer. I must refuse to do to them what they are doing to me. No revenge. Verse 17 goes hand in hand with that concept of being a blessing. No revenge. I'm, I'm so determined to be a blessing and create a climate of blessing that I, I don't hit back. 
isn't that I can't hit back. Isn't that I, it is that I make a conscious decision and choice not to do so. It isn't that I can't think of anything to say. Uh, <laughs> we've got a, I'm thinking of plenty to say. But I've got to choose to control my tongue and take captive of thoughts, right? And we got to be reminded that although we may be on the jury, we're not the judge, right? We don't, we don't get to carry out the sentence. When we take revenge, it, it's a re- revelation of our lack of trust in God. We think we have to take matters into our own hands, and what is worse, that we open ourselves up to getting back what we dole out. When we try to do God's job, we, we shouldn't be surprised if it circles back around, and the revenge we sow uh, is the revenge we reap. Listen, some of us can't bless because we're, we're consumed with revenge. We, we literally spend hours plotting the demise, rehearsing the destruction of those who have hurt us. And the truth is, the only person in captivity is us. Paul says, let bygones be bygones. He understood that the climate of revenge produces the weather of anger and ulcers and insomnia and sickness. Remember Joab in the Old Testament? His brother pursued Abner in battle. Abner didn't want to hurt Joab's brother, but defending himself and in the process killed killed him. And Joab was, was eaten up with revenge and then plotted. Finally, he strikes back and kills Abner and after David had brokered an agreement with him. And, and the revenge cost Joab his life. Solomon realized that Joab was a man of spite and blood. Uh, and has him killed, and rather being a valuable leader to Solomon, revenge causes him to miss out. We lump, as, we, as we're closing, uh, we lump this idea of, of, of having no jealousy, of being empathetic, and no pride that Paul writes about. And the two of these really fit together. I mean, there's no way to be empathetic, meaning put yourself in someone else's place, if you're filled with jealousy and pride. There's no way to address pride in our lives if we also don't deal with jealousy and lack of empathy. Paul is declaring that in kingdom climate, I'm so concerned for you that I don't despise you when you're blessed. I don't look at maybe a job or marriage or kids or promotions or whatever that looks like and wish secretly that they were mine. Paul says we should put ourselves in each other's shoes so that when we are blessed, I rejoice for you. No jealousy. I will throw a celebration when you get something. I will cheer for your promotion, even if I haven't been promoted. He then says, when I see you in pain, distress, or broken, I'm so mindful of you that I mourn when you mourn. I feel your pain. If you were to go home, think about this. If you, if you were to go home and get a hammer and put your thumb on the, side, the edge of the dining table and just, I mean, whack that thing as hard as you can straight on your thumb, 
uh, are there going to be other parts of the body that are going to respond to that pain? Uh, absolutely. As someone who has hit himself square in the thumb with a hammer, you, every nerve in your body responds. You're jumping up and down. You're hopping around. Your lips are tight, real tight, because you're worried about what you're going to say. Maybe even your eyes tear up a little bit. When you're hurt, I feel it. When you're sick, I feel it. When you suffer loss, I feel it. No pride. In order for kingdom climate to be, uh, become a reality, we must let go of pride. Pride is this two-sided knife, right? It, it can make you elevate yourself in your own mind so that you aren't mindful or care, careful of others. You become too good. But pride also has another edge that cuts, and that is the pride keeps from allowing anyone to know when you are hurting. We're caught up so much in appearance and what people may think that it keeps us from being vulnerable, real, and ultimately it robs the rest of the body of being able to respond. Pride, pride will isolate you. I promise you that. And then last one. How many of you are honest? Enough to be real and admit that there are some folks in the family that aren't quite as easy to get along with. We were talking about this, this piece called harmony. Regardless of if people are difficult to get along with or not, Paul puts the ball in our court. He says as long as it depends on you, he doesn't say stay in harmony based on someone else reciprocating your efforts. He, he doesn't say stay in harmony if the other person makes it easy. As long as it's possible with you, it puts the responsibility of creating and maintaining a climate of peace on each one of us. Will you run into someone that's maybe pretty impossible to be at peace with? Uh, yeah, I would say so. You live long enough, you will. But Paul really paints us into a corner and says, if it's all possible, keep the peace. The issue most of us have is we don't do very much to keep, to keep the peace. We make it possible to kind of stay in turmoil, to stay angry, to stay heated. And Paul says, kingdom climate dictates that we do everything in our power. Walk away, bite our tongue, keep opinions to ourselves, resist our anger, give up rights to keep in harmony. In other words, work harder at peacekeeping than we do at destroying it, right? Too many of us love to stir, well, maybe not love, but too many of us stir things up. Quit stirring the pot. So we're looking at this list, connected, serving, sincere love, love good, loyal, honoring, joyful, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, sharing, hospitable, blessing, no jealousy, empathetic, no pride, harmony, no revenge. And I just, like, I got to tell you where I'm at today is I'm, I don't want to just try and build a church or a group that meet at a church. 
it's time to build a kingdom climate. It's time to change our culture that we are in, in our sphere. And the church, if that happens, the church will grow as a result because the climate is so stark. What's going on in your life is so stark in contrast to anything else out there that people will want to be a part of that. I really think that reasons families or individual are, are, are skipping out, let's say, on church, lo- the local church, um, and are faithful to, like, the gym or the water park or wherever they're a part of, uh, is because the climate at those pl- places is more often, it's more kingdom climate and types of things that we just talked about than some churches. And the enemy gets them to settle for this cheap substitute. And so we just got, this is, is, this is how I looked at it. We, we need to stop outfitting ourselves for the, with the right gear to winter weather storms. Because you look outside, you see, oh, it's a storming rain. I'm going to get my rain shell on. I'm going to get my rain pants. I'm going to get my whatever hat, you know, and then go out in the weather. We got to stop just outfitting ourselves for what's going on out there and instead change the climate that's causing that weather. And just teaching about it in these last hours is not going to do it. It's a call to hard work. It's a call to to where we need an additional dose of Holy Spirit and Jesus guiding and directing us to do that. But it's time to hammer out, let's say, this, this kingdom climate that will just produce unbelievable and undeniable weather in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are good. God, you are our rock. Our, our Redeemer. Um, you have a, a very serious call. But Jesus tells us we don't do that alone. You have given us a great comforter. You have given us brothers and sisters that we can lo- walk along with. You've given us local churches, not just in this place, but throughout our community that I pray and long would walk alongside their faith families to produce this change. This change won't come easy. This change will not uh, come quickly. But when it comes, it will come long term and it will be so powerful that it will affect literally the situations around us the weather around us and so God I just pray for that I pray for that for our families and those within our community and in this country and this world that there be a great awakening that we need climate change that we need culture change that we live out Romans 12.
And when we do, there will just be a great awakening and this great uh, revival in you. God, I pray these things in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen.